I was telling Jim, these things are learning experiences, plus then you have the fact that the devil attacks electronics, and then you have Murphy, who's an agent of the devil. I'm not getting anything here. All right. Okay, we'll let this reboot. And they'll work on detecting it. I just wanted to mention something about the Truth Project. I shared this with the elders. I have a cousin uh, who is an incredibly intelligent individual and he makes robotic systems for the military and they're right now working on a robotic tank and that sounds like, you know, exterminator. <laughs> Terminator, it sounds like Terminator. But um, he just recently got saved with his wife and it was because of the Truth Project. And basically he said once it was communicated to him clearly in such a fashion he could not deny it, he had to give his life to the Lord. I mean, it was just, that's just the way it was. And it was just uh, dramatic. And I hadn't seen him in years, and we sat down for a meal. He said, you were the first one I wanted to tell, and he testified to that. So think about how God can use. For some reason, I don't have anything on my screen. Is that correct? Usually there's something on this screen that I can see, because I, I, can't, I can't do anything. Somebody got a computer guy? I should have a screen also, and I don't know why. I just rebooted it. Ha! Okay, good. Then you've got to go down to your small one, right? He makes it look so easy. <laughs> All right. Hold on, this thing's jumping around. I swear I'm going to take one of these guys with me to Russia sometime. Okay, let's let that work up. I just wanted to uh, thank those of you who prayed for Heather and I while we were in New England. Uh, it was a tremendous time, right, Heather? Heather led worship at Riverbank Christian Fellowship. It was uh, powerful. I'll be honest with you, the Lord moved in some mighty ways. We met with leadership. I want to give you kind of a, a list here of what's been going on, and we're going to look at a little bit of it here with the overseas pictures. But uh, there was two overseas trips. Then we went to North Carolina and Florida, and I got to uh, preach in my mother's Baptist church. Uh, that was exciting. Uh, we were recently in uh, Cornerstone Christian Fellowship. The next week we were in Calvary Bible Church for two services. Then we were at Riverbank. There was a number of leadership meetings, a men's meeting. I'm here this morning. Next week, I'll be at Kirtland Christian Fellowship in Ohio. Uh, then I'll be at Christ the King Lutheran Church, which uh, Dwight Selesky took a Lutheran church uh, when he took it over. It was one of the pivotal charismatic Lutheran churches in <laughs> Cleveland. If you guys are that old, you know, Larry Christensen and all these things going on. And it's gone into decline. There was about 200 members, and Dwight's been there for less than a year, and there's now 500. So uh, I'll be preaching there. And then uh, Chardon Christian Fellowship, which is a Spirit-filled Baptist church, and then a joint meeting with Chardon and a church called New Covenant. And then I come home, and then we go camping. <laughs> and guess what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about camping. All right. Praise God. Okay. What I'd like to accomplish, and I'm going to move right through here uh, fairly quickly. Some of these pictures are going to be a bit of a collage without comment. Uh, some of them are more specific. I do want to bring a report, uh, as it were, a missions report, because you do support our family as missionaries. We don't get to do this that often. And uh, I've had, a number of people have asked me, when can you do this? 
So uh, they, they basically scheduled it for this morning. So we're going to be, it's going to be a composite. Number one, we're going to do this missions presentation on the two recent trips, one in April, one in June. That would include our, my time with the shoe packs down in the Caucasus, a little bit of what's going on in the Caucasus. Uh, after that, I'm going to give just a short thing on the Sister Church Project, just a status report, because we support two pastors, Nikolai Levchenko and Boris Sinabobnov. And finally, the Lord has given me uh, a very concise word to share with the church, which I actually got in Vinitsa, uh, Ukraine, during my time there in an Easter service. And it's not long, but it's very specific. So you pray for me, and we'll move uh, right through this. This is uh, the uh, Commonwealth, of, uh, Commonwealth of Independent States. It's basically what's left of the uh, Soviet Union. You can see the largest, of course, is Russia. Then you have Kazakhstan. You have some of the other stands, Ukraine, Belarus. Uh, Russia is one-tenth of the land mass uh, of the earth and has probably the largest uh, natural resources uh, in the world and uh, underdeveloped because of communism, but great potential. And, uh, you know, Putin has really done a job because just with the oil alone, he has brought the country out of debt, which is just amazing. First trip in April was to Ukraine. This is a city called Kryvorog. Uh, not too many Westerners go there. It's down towards Odessa. It's quite a long train ride. This is uh, an unregistered Pentecostal church. This is uh, Grigory Babi's church, and he is the unregistered uh, Pentecostal bishop over all of the Ukraine. And this is the first time a Westerner has spoken in this church, was my speaking there. Even after all this time, there are areas that are really untouched uh, by Westerners. This is uh, Bishop uh, Babi right here, Grigori Babi. Very, very strong, very intense man. <laughs> and uh, it's taken a, a quite a while to develop a relationship with him, a relationship of trust. We met with the leadership last August, and they invited me to come to his church and also to, to speak in the, the Bible school that he has. Uh, they were ordaining elders and deacons. They asked me to join them. You know, I, th I think I said something. Now, this guy's got his shirt unbuttoned, but I think I shared with you about this thing about the button shirt. Uh, Vladimir Rashkin talked to me about the customs of the unregistered Pentecostal church and what they meant to them specifically. And he brought this one up in particular. He said when the pastors were in prison, uh, basically the communists told them they had to leave their shirt unbuttoned. So they would button their top button to show that they were Christians. And they would be beaten and tortured, and they would not unbutton their top button. So when you see a button, you know, don't think of it as just some cultural thing. It really means something to them. So most of the older men do that, and I, I respect that. This is the Bible school. Uh, we had a fantastic time. I basically taught six days constantly all day. Very intensive. Very intensive. Uh, you actually almost lose your voice. I had to... Uh, learn how to pace myself, even how much to speak. I did my uh, discipleship series. Uh, most of you are familiar with that, basic uh, foundations of the faith. Uh, this is the Bible school and also a church. This was once a disco and cafe. They converted it. This is the pastor of the church. He was once an officer in the Soviet military. Uh, he said to me, you're the first Westerner to ever speak in our church, the first Westerner to actually ever speak in our Bible college. And I asked him, how is that? And he said, maybe it's because we're so conservative. He said, but we've heard of your teachings, and we trust you to come and speak. I mean, Joel, you would know, this is amazing. This is amazing. And this has been built over almost 20 years. We went in in 1989, and we've continued to be faithful. I'm very, very sensitive to their cultural traditions, I adhere to them. I don't address them. If we sit in private, I share my own feelings. But we have gotten along wondrously well. This is the actual graduating class. So we were able to impact all these young men uh, for ministry. From there, I went to Venitsa, which is the key city they have their seminary in. It's actually a master's program. This is Venitsa Pentecostal Church uh, on Easter Sunday. And actually, this is uh, the word I'm going to be sharing in just a bit. The Lord gave me this word during this service. This service was pretty incredible. I mean, it went basically all day. 
and it was fantastic. They had kids quoting scripture. They had uh, Ukrainian musical instruments. They had special after special. They had four or five preachers, and it was just amazing, just amazing. Uh, this is Bishop Peter. He is actually a completed Jew. I belong to an organization called Global Assistance Partners out of Ohio. I'm vice president. It's the organization that actually handles our Bible institutes. And they've been developing educational systems. And actually, in a little bit, I'll be showing you a couple of professors from Oral Roberts University that went over there to teach so we could actually provide for them accredited courses. But Bishop Peter, we actually scholarshiped him to go through the master's program at the Assembly of God Seminary in Kiev. About five men, and these men have been raised up as strategic men uh, in this uh, denomination. And uh, it, was, it was a greater part because we actually uh, financially sponsored them to go through the master's program. This is the uh, seminary, and again, this is a master's program. And I'm teaching on foundations of the faith. I call it spiritual life formation. Uh, foundations of the faith. This is the uh, class that I, I taught. Then went to uh, Brovery, which is uh, right above Kiev. And again, you under, have to understand, I'm preaching every Sunday. I'm teaching every day, all day. And uh, usually they have something for me on Saturday. I mean, you really have to get into a pace and just lean on the Lord. This is very, uh, just north of Kiev. Uh, this is a church that we actually helped through the Sister Church Project to build, Aquila Bible Chapel. Uh, one of the sponsoring churches in Ohio helped to build this church. This is Dima Chalchuk's church. And uh, we are in the process of converting a portion of the church into a Bible school. Again, I say we, that's Global Assistance Partners. We recently gave them $4,000 to buy materials to put in toilets. They had outhouses, toilets, showers, and dormers. So we're actually building a Bible school in the church. Uh, this uh, unusually dark-skinned fellow is actually uh, Bishop uh, Peter Anguko's youngest son, David, for those of you who are in Kenya. How many are in Kenya? He looks like his mom. But that's Bishop Anguko's youngest son, and he's in school in Ukraine, and every time I, I arrive, he comes over and spends time with me, and he's the Youth for Christ uh, representative in Ukraine, and he's doing just an incredibly dynamic work with the international students. This is concrete, ceramic tile. This is an area where they're going to put in toilets. I want you to kind of just register this because there's going to be a before and after. These are the shower stalls that we're putting in. This area here, there's going to be a catalytic uh, heater and also washers and dryers for clothes. Uh, this is uh, the rooms where the dormers are going to be. Basically, we're talking about bunk beds built in, two large rooms. Here again, I, I spoke on a Saturday. Uh, all day, and then actually I had to uh, leave, so I couldn't speak as long as I wanted to. Here's the group. And that was the session. Okay, then we went back to Kiev, and I want to show you this because basically you support Nikolai Levchenko, and Nikolai is in the process of building a church at 74, 75 years old. He's out there hauling stone. He's hauling uh, lumber. Um, this project to me would be total over, uh, totally overwhelming at any age, much, much less his age. It's just a huge building project. Last time I was there, there the foundation was there. This is actually the sanctuary. That's the balcony in the background. This is the, uh, they call it second floor. There's a subfloor, which is the first floor. This is from the balcony. Up here, they're going to put offices, um, classrooms, all kinds of things. I share this with you to pray for him. We're looking at trying to get him over uh, to the States to itinerate in some of the Russian churches. There's some very good Russian churches around the United States where I know he could raise some money to uh, help with this. This is Nikolai right here. He's hauling lumber. And there he is. I don't know. How many remember Nikolai? Looks a little older. Actually, I thought he looked pretty good. Look here, he looks slimmer, I think. And this is Demi Chalchuk on the right. He's uh, the pastor of the church where we're building the institute. And the other fella is Nikolai's associate pastor. The, this is June. 
And basically, we made arrangements to take two professors over from Oral Roberts University. This is Dr. Don Vance on the left. Uh, he's a teacher in Old Testament literature and, and languages, and he taught on Old Testament survey. It's actually eight courses to get a certificate, plus their accredited courses. Um, with the fact that we added the professors being there, plus we added uh, Gundry's New Testament survey in Russian and a number of other resource books, we were actually to pump it up to two credits. So it was a two-credit hour course. And the first place we went was back to Venitsa, and they taught in the master's program. Here's Don teaching Old Testament. Mark teaching New Testament. Mark Roberts is uh, director of the Holy Spirit Research Center at ORU and also a professor in New Testament. And uh, Friday we went out to the woods and barbecued chicken. And uh, this is uh, the, the, what's left of the class some of them had left. Okay, we jumped. There should have been another slide in here. But uh, this has to do with the sister church, and I just wanted to uh, kind of run you through a typical Sunday. I say typical. This was a little more intense. I was told I was going to be minister, ministering in, in Pastor Peter Yannicka's church, and he's one of the pastors that we support. Actually, it's an Assembly of God church in Ohio. Uh, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning. We had to drive way out of the city. These are a little mixed, okay? This is... Uh, Look at this. They're mixed up. How does that happen? Okay, well, we're going to revisit that, okay? We won't be bothered by that. I'm going to go on with the professor. Somehow three pictures got moved, but we're going to ignore that and go on, okay? And I'll, I'll revisit it. Okay, the professors. We basically went from Venitsa to Brovery for them to teach in our Bible Institute. I just wanted to show you the difference. You remember in April what it looked like? It was just a bunch of concrete and a hole in the wall. These are the bathrooms. And if you've been in Russia, I mean, Dave's looking at it like, what is this? I mean, it looks like a hotel. I mean, I can be honest with you. You know, when you have to go to the bathroom in Russia, it's like, oh, no, I have to go to the bathroom. I wonder, oh, my God. I mean, this is a pleasure. Showers? <laughs> you know it gets tough when it's a pleasure to go to the bathroom in Russia, but this is a pleasure. That's catalytic uh, heater for uh, hot water. They usually rely upon city hot water, so this is really good. Washers and dryers are going to go in here. Here's Don teaching on Old Testament. You can see Torah prophets translated into Russian. He's dynamic. I sat through his class. It was just fabulous. This is Mark Roberts. This is the class, and you'll notice we're videotaping it. And the vision that we have, we have all these materials, and the students use them, then they turn the materials back in. They can purchase the materials, but they have to be replaced. So we have a library full of the materials for the course. Then we have DVDs to go with it. So a church can borrow the DVDs and the books, and they can run the course. I mean, this is really creative. We've been working on this. Don Vance is actually our, our dean of education. We've been working on this uh, for quite a period of time. Really have got it down perfected. There's Don, and there's the graduating class. Okay, here we are. Those other two pictures may not show up, but basically they were just driving in the rain. So we left in the morning, about 8 o'clock, and I was told I was preaching in Peter Yannicka's church. So I'm going along, and all of a sudden I find out I'm not ministering in Peter Yannicka's church. I'm ministering in a daughter church first. Now, see, this is the thing. You've got to have like three, four messages prepared. I mean, I, I'm, I'm focused. I'm praying. I've got a message for Peter's church. Now I'm somewhere else. And I go, God, and he starts throwing verses at me, and I'm scrambling, I'm putting all this thing together, a whole new message. This is a kindergarten that sits right amongst a bunch of high-rises. And they were able to purchase it. This is a strategic little church. And it's really, really a great building. But it's surrounded by high-rises, and they purchased it. And the church is just about the size of Peter's when he first started. I was amazed. This is the pastor. I've met him before. He was a deacon. So I preached in this church, and then we headed out to Peter's church. And now we're at Peter's church. <coughs> Peter's a dynamic guy. A lot of young people. I was really impressed with this church. A lot of young people. This is Peter Yannicka. We've supported him for probably 15 years. Just a great friend. 
where I'm preaching. There I am being Italian. Where's Al? Okay, Al. They guessed her, you know. I mean, you can... And then we ate. And then he says to me, How would you like to go out to a village church and preach this afternoon? And I'm saying, Sure. <laughs> you know. And I'm scrambling again. Oh, God, give me a word, you know. So then, I mean, it's really lovely, but we're driving out, you know. By the way, this is, uh, every village has a sign. I can't read it, but there's a sign there that tells the name of the village. It's really neat. Back in, and there's a house. And we go inside, and the people have just had a believer's meeting. They're breaking it up. They're going to set it up outside. They've sent out flyers to the village, and the village is going to come to the service. And they had an evangelistic uh, singer and his wife. They did a fantastic job. Very classic. It reminded me of a revival in America. You know, very, very classic. And then this brother preached. Now I want you to count the preachers. Can you do that? Okay? Count the preachers. You're talking about a half hour, 45 minutes apiece. Here's preacher number one. Then we sang a song. Preacher number, say it, two. Okay, then a lady read a poem. And we sang some more. Preacher number three. three. Okay. Right after him, I preached. I gave the guy my camera. He didn't take a picture. So I was preacher number four. This kid came out and sang a great song. I really was impressed. Preacher number five. How late do you think it's getting? Five. Preacher number six. This is the deacon, he's, he's, and he's a really strong preacher. He really gets after it, okay? Preacher number seven, Peter Yannicka. Okay, so Peter's up there preaching. He looks at me, and he says, I think we need to move right along and cut this short because I can see that Brother Gordon is getting very tired. I'm like, I'm like this. Now, I'm serious. If Jim was here, he could tell you. One time, Jim and I, when he was there, we preached 14 services in seven days, and they were intensive services evangelistic meetings in schools, uh, teachers' colleges, uh, factories during the day, and large believers' meetings in the evening. Fourteen meetings in seven days. And then we had food. And then they just kind of carried me out of there. Okay, this is Dorian Karen Schupak. This is the area of the Caucasus, if you can see how this is. Uh, with Russia, this is an area that slips down right above Turkey, and you'll see Armenia. Azerbaijan, and also Iran just below that. There are, four, there are five Muslim republics down there, and uh, they're majority Muslim republics, and they're very, very iffy, all of them. Lately, if you look on the Internet, you're hearing a lot about Dagestan. Uh, terrorists broke into a, sa uh, a sauna and killed four women for no reason they can figure out. And they've been killing, in fact, when I was there, they were killing a government official one each day to the point where Dory told me we could no longer go into Chechnya while I was there because they said the security was too, vo was too volatile. And it was the thing of either getting shot or kidnapped or the Russians just hassling you to death as to why you're there and maybe even uh, holding you for periods of time. So there was no way we could do that. We ended up going down. They're in Carbodinia, Balkaria, right here. We went down into North Ossetia to a town called Beslan. And I'll be sharing that with you momentarily. But the five republics are Carbodidia, Balkaria, North Ossetia, Ingusetia, Chechnya, which you've heard of, and Dagestan. And you've all heard of Abkhazia and South Ossetia because those are the republics that seceded to the Russian side and caused the Russians to invade uh, through a 30-kilometer tunnel in the mountains into South Ossetia. And then after that, they moved all the way down here within 30 miles of Tbilisi, the capital of Georgia. Very iffy. And uh, right now, they've pulled back, but there are Russian troops still in South Ossetia. Uh, Abkhazia is pretty well gone. And Abkhazia is probably one of the largest grape-growing regions and reputed to have some of the best wine in the world. These, this whole area actually is, is noted for that uh, in Russia. So we went down into North Ossetia. Uh, this is North Ossetia. Here's Beslan. Now, if you remember, five years ago, terrorists occupied an elementary school in Beslan. It's interesting because everybody in America that I've talked to, 
knows about this. I mean, it was just in front of us. In fact, I met a man who was uh, kind of a caretaker of what was left of the school, and I told him, I said, this impacted the world. I said, almost everyone in America knows about this. I said, we empathize with this. And the time I was there, I was really, I was weeping. I went through this school. This is the gymnasium. And uh, basically, there was uh, 1,100 people, 777 children. It was the opening day of school. It's like a holiday. Parents come, teachers, just all kinds of people. There was 32 terrorists with ammo, with these uh, detonator belts on. The whole thing came in, held them hostage. Uh, there was an actual um, uh, argument amongst the terrorists because uh, two or three of them did not want to hold children. And the leader of the terrorist cell actually had buttons to set off the demo vests, and he blew up two of his people in the midst of these children just to make a point that nobody was going to mutiny against him. That's the first thing that happened. So a number of children were killed. Some escaped immediately. They ran out in the confusion. Others were traded out. It ended up, I think, there was probably about four or 500 that were left uh, there under, the, under uh, the hostages. And I want to move quickly through this. This is just a collage of pictures. I just want you to get an impact of this. Uh, the Russians wanted to bulldoze the school down. The people would not allow it. And it's just an unofficial memorial. So you'll, this is typical of the Russians. They have all the children's pictures up. They have wreaths, stuffed animals. You'll see water bottles. See the water bottles? You'll see water bottles everywhere. The terrorists would not allow the children to have any water for five days. They said that some of the teachers and children were drinking their own urine. Uh, they were becoming uh, totally uh, dehydrated uh, when this was all over. Uh, there was some children that lived just because of the body shields of the other children. They looked like concentration camp victims. They were so thin. And I, I really can't touch this without, without it just really uh, affecting me. Teachers, I'm showing you this. I really want you to get an impact on what these people lived through. I don't think there was anybody in the city of Beslan. It's not that large. It wasn't affected by this tragedy. This was Muslim and Christian children. Scripture verses, letters, stuffed animals. I actually told the man about this, how it affected us. I gave him a blessing in Russian, and uh, he, he said, may you, may you prosper and succeed. He just basically was really touched uh, by the fact that American from all that distance knew what had happened and, and had such empathy for them. This is the memorial that was actually built for the children. This is three angels holding up the souls of the children as they're flying to heaven. It's just an impressive uh, statue. The names of the children and uh, teachers are on these blocks, and I don't think they spared any money. Look at the size of this thing. These are all children and teachers that are buried all together here. This is just quite overwhelming. Now you'll notice that these three are on the same slab as well as these three. There was a Baptist pastor in the city he lost four children, three daughters and a son, and also two nieces. He was hit the hardest of anyone uh, as far as how many children died. They were all buried together. They asked this Baptist pastor to speak at the memorial service, and as he shared his heart, he also said, I forgive them. I'm a Christian, and I forgive them. And because of that, he was ostracized from the community, totally cut off, they said, we don't want forgiveness, we want vengeance. We want to find out, we want vengeance. This is an area of blood feud. The Ascetian people are a really warlike people. I was talking to Pastor Alon. Get to a picture of Pastor Alon here. That's one of the teachers. Pastor Alon is an Ascetian pastor. He's a Muslim convert. Uh, he was a champion arm wrestler. Uh, before he came, became to the Lord, he also belonged to a local militia. I said, what would you do in the local militia? He said, oh, well, periodically we grabbed our guns and went out and shot people. So that's what they did. And uh, just, just a really incredible guy. But he was telling me about the Ossetian people. And they're a very warlike people. They go back 
to B.C. They were around with the Romans. Uh, the Romans, I think, actually dubbed them uh, a warlike people or warriors. So these are blood feuds, a lot of these things. We're going to a house church meeting here in Beslan. Uh, some of the people, like I say, have been affected by this tragedy just five years ago. Uh, most of the people in this uh, house church are Assyrian Muslim converts. There are also ethnic Russians. There's Dory back there. And they had fantastic worship. They were worshiping some of the same songs, very charismatic worship. Afterwards, we started praying for people. Uh, this lady on the left had, uh, has cancer. And there was really a powerful move of God as we prayed for about four or five different people uh, after the meeting. Then we returned from uh, North Ossetia back to Nalchuk, where uh, Dory and Karen and the family live. That's right here, Nalchuk. And here are some of the girls. Here's uh, Dina and Carrie with their friends. And this girl here was constantly trying to talk to me in English. And the girls are fluent, totally fluent in Russian. Here's Isaac. Pray for Isaac. He's a cool guy. Carrie. I call her the flower girl. She's always going and picking flowers and giving them to me. Uh, this was interesting. We had a rain that was like a deluge. I mean, like buckets. And you couldn't see. And the girls were out in it. So they ran in soaking wet. They were hiding in the bathroom pitch black. I jumped in there and took a picture. They look like a couple of drowned rats. That's a great picture. And I'm going to give that to, I'm going to give these to, uh, to Bill. If you want a copy of these pictures, you can have it. That was, I caught them. So we then went out to a rehabilitation center on Sunday. This is a good sized piece of property that is owned by a number of churches together. Uh, again, house churches, none of these have buildings. Uh, they called three house churches together because there was a foreign speaker, myself. Uh, 65 Ossetian, Chechnyan, and ethnic Russian uh, converts came together, along with one pastor from Uzbekistan, from the underground church in Tashkent, actually a very wanted man. He came up just because I was there. This is a clear-fed uh, spring pond, beautiful facility. Here's Dory and Karen and Emily. And this is the facility. They also use this for summer camps for children. Right now there's no rehab clients, and they're preparing and building facilities and putting in bunk beds for summer camp. That was a good one. And then people started arriving in a, like a caravan. There's Pastor Alon. They brought food. So the service consisted of worship for a good period of time, and again, very charismatic, very open worship. Uh, then after that, we had the ministry of the Word. I preached a word on God's faithfulness. And then after that, we had water baptism. After that, we had communion. And after that, we had uh, a common meal together. So again, just a whole day. This is not unusual. Whole day affair. I think this is really striking. They've got a computer projector out in the middle of this. Is, this is down in Carbodinia, Bulgaria, near the border of North Ossetia. Really fantastic what God is doing here. And they're baptizing people constantly. People are coming to the Lord constantly. Isn't this great? These are the baptismal candidates introduced to the church. Then they had communion. I actually gave, he actually asked me to give a communion devotional as well. They really put you to work. And then we had a meal together. So as we leave these slides, I, I want you to remember Dory and Karen, things are going well. Uh, Dory is incredibly adept at what he does. He's a networker. Uh, he has a lot more responsibility in the Chechnyan refugee church that they attend in Nalchuk. Uh, the pastor uh, had to step down, is having some struggles. I'll give it a, get to a picture of him in a minute. This is the uh, brother from uh, Tashkent, uh, Uzbekistan. 
Uh, this is Pastor Soslin. This is the brother who had to step down from being pastor of the Chesnian Church. And uh, we need to be praying for him. Good friend. We've become very, very close. Very strategic position. You have to understand, he's a Chesnian Muslim. He was. And his father is very, very esteemed in the city of Grozny, the capital of Chechnya. Actually, he was under death threats after he became a Christian. And uh, the devil would do anything to try to uh, disable him spiritually. Pray for uh, Pastor Alan. Uh, these two actually went to Bible school together. They're friends. He's a Setian. And uh, he is also a Muslim convert and needs our prayers. Great guy. And pray for the gypsy preacher. All right? Because he gets tired sometimes. Okay, praise God. Change that. Okay, very quickly, uh, we have a table out in the north uh, foyer. And basically, it represents the Sister Church Project. We support two pastors here in the church, Nikolai Levchenko, Boris Sinabobnov. Uh, we support them $300 every six months. I take it in personally and give it to them. Uh, there are others. I know Al, different ones in the church that support other pastors individually. But these are the two that the church supports. Uh, the money has to be raised outside the mission's budget. This is not a budgeted item. So it's free will offering. There are many here who have been very, very faithful uh, to continue to give to this project. I would encourage you to continue. Uh, don't lag. Please continue. Uh, this last time I took the money in, we were actually a little bit short, and we had to go into a, a little reserve fund that I didn't even know I had that I found. We were able to make it up. So we do need to rebuild uh, the Sister Church Project monies. It's uh, actually an account ledger here at TCF. If you want to be part of that, uh, there are little slips of paper uh, for you to fill out, and there's a basket, and just fill out the slip of paper, whatever commitment you would like to make monthly, and put it in the basket. Uh, for those who might be touched to, to give a one-time gift, uh, just write a check, put it in the basket. It'll go directly to that and that alone. This is not support for me. It's not for anything else in the church. Do make it out to Tulsa Christian Fellowship. And uh, you could put uh, sister church pastors on the bottom, but basically if it's in the basket, that's what it's going to go towards. Okay? And please pray about that. I really, uh, it's been a tremendously fruitful uh, project. Okay, praise God. So, when I was in Venitsa, I was praying about what to teach on Easter. I am not very good at holidays and events, you know. I mean, I just get what I get. So, but I prayed about it, and I felt like the Lord's laid something on my heart. And it wasn't directly related to Easter, but it was. And you'll see why as we get into it. And it's about the promise of the Father. There is a link throughout Scripture that talks about the promise of the Father. And the first verse I would direct you to is Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. You're going to see how this fits with Easter and actually the work of the cross. And this was Jesus speaking to his disciples. There was probably more than the 12. Again, we, later we find out it's 120. But it says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Don't depart. Wait for the promise of the Father. In Luke 24, he said, Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry, Tarry and wait for it. Now in Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40, it says this. And this is about the patriarchs and the prophets of old. Okay? As they look towards the coming of the Messiah, it's related as such. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Promise. Okay, now we know that this was the promise of the coming Messiah, but as we look at the work of the cross, I want to list four things as the, in the work of the cross. And we, we think about certain things with Jesus and, and the cross, and 
know, number one, we think of his death, we think of the blood atonement for sin. Number two, we think of his burial and resurrection. And Paul really labors on that. He says that's really the proof in the pudding, that. If he was resurrected, thus and so. If he wasn't, thus and so. Burial and resurrection, victory over death and the grave, the only one to do so. I mean, many people have died for what they believe in. No one's been raised from the dead. Number three, ascension. He ascended to God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father to judge the quick and the dead. But number four, once he was seated, he poured out his Holy Spirit. He poured out his Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, as we continue, he says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in 2449, he said, Behold, the promise of the Father is going to be upon you, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed, clothed with power from on high. What is the promise of the Father? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. I actually believe all four of these encompass the promise that was, was spoken of by the, uh, by the patriarchs and prophets, but specifically, Jesus relates it to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 25. John 14, verse 25. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Think about that. The Godhead bodily dwelling in a person. What is that? I mean, think about that. I mean, that makes me a bit queasy. I mean, the Godhead bodily dwelling in me. Talks about the earnest of the inheritance. Talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you doubt that the Godhead bodily dwells in you, just watch the manifestations, the gift of tongues or some of these other manifestations. It could not be you. In fact, at one place, in one teaching, I was sharing about confessing Jesus Christ. If you are able to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then the Godhead dwells in you bodily because there's no way you could know it. The only one that really is able to communicate and speak the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord is he who was there and saw him die, saw him raised from the dead. In fact, the very power that raised him from the dead, the Holy Spirit. But if he resides in you, you can open your mouth. You can say, Jesus is Lord. And in Revelations, it says it is actually the, the, a word of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Powerful. Powerful. And it says, that the prophets and patriarchs looked, looked for this, but they died in faith, never having received it, because they were not to be complete apart from us. Amazing. We have received what the patriarchs and prophets were looking for, but never received. What a gift. What a responsibility. The Godhead bodily. What a responsibility. John 16 7 through 8. John 16, 7 through 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I mean, he was raised. He had a glorified body. I mean, think of the things that could have been done. But he needed to leave. Why? There was a purpose. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit, it is to our advantage that Jesus went away that he might pour out his Holy Spirit upon us. Those first three things had to happen and distinctly had their purpose. And I don't minimize that purpose at all. But all three of those things had to happen, including the ascension, so that we might receive the power of of the Holy Spirit, so that we might receive the power of the Holy Spirit.
John the Baptist said it this way in Luke chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And Jesus referred to it. Now as the people were in expectation and all reason in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And this word baptize, and I believe we've addressed this before, but this word baptize is a Greek word. It was actually anglicized. And the reason it was anglicized when the King James Bible was being written, they were trying to unify the kingdom. Baptism was a very divisive issue because people were baptizing in all kinds of different ways. And so they really couldn't translate this or didn't want to exactly what it meant, which meant to be immersed. Every time you see the word baptism, just put in the word immerse. But they left it be. So, so confusion has ensued. What is baptism? You know, is it sprinkling? Is it, you know, is it uh, pouring? Is it whatever? Basically, it's a Greek word that means to be immersed. Before it was a religious word, it was a word used in commerce. It was a word used in all kinds of things. I mean, it's what you did with your kids when you stuck them in a bathtub. It was, that's not sacrilegious. It just That's what it was, to immerse. When Lydia was down at the river dyeing cloth, she was baptizing cloth into dye. And as she put it in, she just pushed it a little bit further, got blue on her finger to totally cover it. So picture that. We understand that with water baptism, but how does that relate to spirit baptism? Same thing, to be totally immersed. What does that mean? You know, if I say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, I think so. Listen, if you've been totally immersed in the Holy Spirit, you know it. You know it. It's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of power. It's an issue of empowerment. He said they already knew he was raised from the dead. At one point in John, it says he breathed the Holy Spirit on him. But here he says, tarry for the power. Don't go out and try to do the works of the Lord without the power. There's a word in English that we don't use too much anymore. In fact, I haven't heard it. It means it's whelm, and it means to fill, to fill. But we still use the other word, which is overwhelm. To be overwhelmed is to be overfilled. And that's what we're talking about with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. God comes, shakes us up, releases us, comes down all around. It's just an all-encompassing thing. It's an all-encompassing thing. So in Acts chapter 1, the disciples came together in the upper room and they fulfilled the command of Jesus. He said, wait and pray and wait before the Lord. And it says that there were 120. It included his disciples, Mary the mother of Jesus, his brothers, others. Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment, the day of Pentecost fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, and one sat on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were many people in Jerusalem. They heard the commotion. Maybe they saw fire. They thought the people were drunk. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, preaches this message. He raises his voice. Men of Judea, chapter 2, verse 14 and 18. Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he references this prophecy. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And that's down through verse 18, 14 through 18. In verse 19, he continues the prophecy. <clears throat> I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. 
And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We did not see this happen at Pentecost. Now, Peter said, in your eyes, this prophecy is fulfilled. I would say to you, the initial fulfillment occurred at Pentecost. But truly, as you look at this, you cannot but say, only the first part of the prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost. We are yet waiting for the second part of the prophecy to be fulfilled. So it's a prophecy fulfilled and yet in fulfillment. And we are in the midst of this prophecy. If, in fact, the first part has been fulfilled and we're waiting for the second part, then we are living between verse 18 and 19. And that means it's still happening. It's still happening, and it will continue to happen until wonders in the heavens, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, it will continue this outpouring until the great and awesome day of the Lord. The baptism in the Holy Spirit will continue until the Lord's return. Until we see these signs and wonders manifest in the heavens, we are living between verse 18 and 19. A prophecy fulfilled and yet not fulfilled. A prophecy initially fulfilled and yet still in fulfillment down through the ages. Peter says it this way in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through, through 39. Excuse me. Acts chapter 2, 37 through 39. He finishes the message, and they said, Now then, they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That is an open statement. To you, to your children, to all who are far off horizontally across the earth, but I believe he's speaking vertically down through time, all those the Lord will call. Because it says that it will continue. This outpouring continues, even unto this day, even unto us. And you know, many of us have received this reality. This church was founded on that specific reality. I came here in 1972, 1,200 people. Bill Sanders, Chuck Farah, it was a baptism in the Holy Spirit Church. I remember Billy Joe Doherty said one time at a service at Victory Christian Center, I thank God for a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma that was preaching the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If they hadn't, I wouldn't be where I am today. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit right here in, in TCF. Many others across the city. This was the seedbed of the charismatic movement in Tulsa. I was here, 1972. You had to sit in a folding chair on the wall at Edison. Bill said that uh, they used to have Methodist churches call up and say, look, we don't know what's going on over there, but we know it's God. We'd like to send our adult Sunday school class over just to sit in on one of your services and see what happens. And that was, that was Bill's idea. That's why he called it a fellowship rather than a church. His idea was people would come, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, go back into their church. The whole city would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was, that was the vision. That was the original vision. And we had that. And it was powerful. And it's still there. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. As I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this church in Venice, I went to the bishop. I said, this is a Pentecostal church, a classic Pentecostal church. How many people out there, because they'd had a lot of new people come in, young people, so on, how many people out there do you think are not baptized in the Holy Spirit? It took them aback. And he said, you know, I'll bet there's a lot of them. Never thought about it. We've got a whole new generation of young people coming up. We've got people that are coming into the church. I look out, I see new faces for periods of time almost every Sunday. And we think, and I'm not, I'm not being critical, but we think somehow the baptism in the Holy Spirit is received by osmosis. It's not. It's an event. It happens. It's a reality. And I believe that's why God is bringing this to our forefront at this time. I think this is a timely thing. A timely, timely word. Not only across the earth was Peter speaking, but down through time, as he said, as many as the Lord our God will call 
The outpouring of the Holy Spirit continues even to this day. It should be the natural, the natural process. We are a Spirit-filled church. It's the natural process. And we need to be open, available. And we need to be willing to pray and seek. And I'm going to share a couple more verses here about the reality of that. How was the Holy Spirit received after Pentecost? There's a number of different examples. I thought this one was really uh, classic. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7. And actually, this is, uh, there's about four or five, but this is uh, one of the key ones and actually duplicated. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. Finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, We do not even know, nor have we heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke spoke in tongues and prophesied. The men were about 12 in all. Now, if you study this, there are different ways. I mean, we know that in Cornelius' house, Peter was preaching. God interrupted the whole thing baptized everybody in the Holy Spirit. Peter's going like this, turns to the other guys and says, you know, basically, we better catch up. They're already baptized in the Holy Spirit. We might as well baptize them in water. I mean, God can do whatever. But classically, as you look, this is a pretty simple progression to receive the Lord, to be baptized in water, and then to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, and I want to finish with this verse. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. It talks about earnestly desiring. Uh, I've been talking to uh, one one of our kids in particular, you know, about desiring this gift, earnestly desiring this gift. It isn't like, well, I'll just hang out and God's going to give it to me. To earnestly desire this gift. Um, I first heard about this gift not in a service or uh, I was reading the book... uh, with Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, a very conservative guy, and I'm reading along, and I read uh, this promise right here, actually, this prayer promise about receiving uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and what happens is at the end he has you pray for it. So I prayed for it. And I'd read about the power of God and the Word of God, but I prayed for it. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. And uh, finally, I got this thing, you know, I mean, I was simple. I wasn't a theologian. I think I read something somewhere, you know, you receive in faith. So I got down one last time and I said, Lord, I just receive in faith right now in the name of Jesus. And I jumped up and I mean, the devil said, you didn't get anything. I mean, it was just like I said, I received it in faith. And I walked in that for three months until I stepped into the fireside room at Oral Roberts University during a Christian service council uh, prayer meeting before spring break. And they laid hands on me, and the power of God fell on me. And Beth Troutman got zapped and danced around the room. I was talking to her about it this morning. She goes, oh, I remember that. And screamed at me to pray in tongues. I remember that. And uh, God moved. But three months after I'd prayed, uh, I won't say who, but I was talking to somebody, and they said they were praying for somebody else for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they got Zapped and spoken tongues. I mean, things happen. But we need to desire. We need to seek after this fulfillment. So I, this is a prayer promise. We've heard this prayer promise, but listen to it in context. If I say to you, ask, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks to receive, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it will be open. That sounds pretty simple. In context, it goes on to say, if a son asks for bread from a father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? He ends it by saying this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some people think if I open up spiritually, and and we understand what this means, consciously open up spiritually, something weird might happen. Yeah, you might get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Your life might totally change. 
God might cast you out and use you in powerful, powerful ways. I mean, yes, that could happen. Because here it's a promise. He gives good gifts. And you're under the blood. You're protected. You can open up to the Father and He can give you this gift. These verbs, ask, seek, and knock, in the Greek language, are in the present tense, which denotes action. This is not a very good translation. It should actually say something like this. Ask and keep on asking. And keep on asking and don't stop asking. And you will receive. Seek and keep on seeking. Don't stop seeking till you find it. You will find it. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't stop knocking. If you keep on knocking, the door will open. E.M. Bounds said one time, the greatest man in the kingdom of God is he who is the most persistent knocker the most persistent locker. And in context, that prayer promise goes with receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the context. I believe it's good for other things. I don't restrict it to that. But in this context, it's spoken about directly in regard to the Holy Spirit. He has called us to earnestly desire the baptism in the Holy Spirit, to tarry and wait for it and to seek it, to persevere in prayer and to receive it, to be filled. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember one time I, I would teach in the elders' class about you know, how the baptism of the Holy Spirit was an endowment and power for ministry and that we're all called to minister, and these things are true. But you know, as we're moving into the last days, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you something. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not only an endowment for power for ministry, it is an endowment with power to stand and survive in these days. You've got to have power. You have got to have power. You, you, you know not how to pray as you ought. You need the gift of tongues to pray. I get times where I, I was praying for one of my kids. It was like I was going in circles. I said, and I said, I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray. And it was like, Dumbo, don't you remember the verse? Oh, yeah, that's right. And I started praying in tongues. And the next thing you know, I got a release. And then I got something to pray in English that was new. I don't, Oral claims that's the interpretation of what I prayed in tongues. I don't know. Maybe it just clued me into what God was thinking. I got it in English, you know. But either way, it cleared the way. And it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Actually, it says it's going to get brighter and darker at the same time. But I'm telling you, we need this reality. We need to be filled and overfilled. We need to have our own personal Pentecost. And, you know, each one of us has a different personality. So that particular Pentecost, although an event, although something you can point to and say, yes, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, will be different for every person. Sometimes it's so gentle. I remember uh, Bob Albrecht, who's a very gentle brother, uh, my brother-in-law, you know. He was just standing there, and he just started shaking and got filled. Started praying at times. It was real quiet, you know. I remember Chuck Ferris shared one time, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit on the L.A. freeway. Baptized in the Holy Spirit on the L.A. freeway. He said, there's no way you can be ecstatic on the L.A. freeway. <laughs> Speaking in tongues. He was praying. All of a sudden, God baptized me. He's praying in tongues on the L.A. freeway. He used to say that. I don't know what they got ecstatic out of. You can't get ecstatic on the, you know, L.A. freeway. But God will fulfill that desire. You need to have a desire. You need to see the reality of this. You need to see your need. You need to see your need and the needs of those that you love, to pray for them, to encourage them in this. We need to have our own personal Pentecost. Let me ask you a question. Have you received the promise of the Father? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit since you believed? The promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. You may have received, and I believe this is possible, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yet you didn't get that release and the gift of tongues. Maybe it almost came. There's not been an opportunity. You want to move into that because this prayer language is so needed. It, it seems to be a, a, a key gift to other gifts. You know, I was thinking about this and talking with a brother about this. What in the world does the devil have against tongues? It's nothing. It's a, just this little, little gift, you know? I believe it's a key to other gifts. I believe as we're faithful in that gift, God opens up other, other horizons for us. I saw this in my own life, in my own ministry. As I spent time concertedly praying in tongues about the other gifts, God would manifest the other gifts. As we're faithful in the small things. Satan knows that. He hates this gift. 
I remember, I don't know if I shared this with, with Beth just a, just a little bit. After I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was so drunk in the Holy Spirit, they had to carry me out of the fireside room, and, and, and I couldn't speak in English. Every time I opened my mouth, all I could do was speak in tongues. There was a Presbyterian brother who's a friend of mine, Lloyd Hamner. He said, brother, you don't need to speak in tongues all the time. And I went, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak in English. They carried me. They put me in the bed. I fell asleep praying in tongues. And I had this dream. And I'll never forget it. I had this dream. And in the distance was a little slender man in a charcoal gray uh, uh, English cut suit with a Hamburg. Don't ask me. I would have. It's the devil. I wouldn't. Put, I would have put him in a red suit. He would have had a horn. Nothing. He's there. He's got a little cane umbrella type thing, and he's got a goatee. And I know it's the devil. And I'm looking, and he walks up. He saunters up into my face. And in my dream, I remember you know going like this. And I opened my mouth, and out of my mouth came tongues, and a look of fear came on the devil's face, and he fled. I couldn't have made that up. I don't know anything about any of this stuff, you know? I wasn't Pentecost. I wasn't raised in that stuff. I was, I was raised in the Disciples of Christ Church, and they don't believe in any of this stuff. I mean, I remember teaching on being born again one time in my home church, and they were scared to death I was going to talk about tongues. What does that have to do with anything? But the devil fled. I'll never forget that. And then I remember uh, waking up in the room, and the room was filled with tongues. And I thought, my gosh, who's speaking in tongues? I woke up, and it was me. I mean, it was a radical, (laughs) radical experience. By the way, uh, the Lord spoke to me one time about how don't ever envy somebody's experience like that because God only gives those kind of experiences if you're going to need it, which means if you get an experience like that, he's probably going to send you to hell and back. That happens. And I needed it desperately. The promise is to your children, to all who are far off. We want to take time. I'd like the worship team to come up. And we want to take time just to pray for you. For the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For releasing the gift of tongues. For God to move upon you. Uh, I want to speak to this generation of young people. You're on my heart so strongly Uh, Where you walk and the people you have to do with, you desperately need this gift, young people. You need it. I know know for a fact in my own family, there's a number of our children that this gift was really a saving factor. I know my son Josh, as he was going through some real struggles uh, in the Army, I called him and I said, Josh, you, you you really need to get into the Word. He said, Dad, he said, they're working us till midnight. I get up at four in the morning. Yeah, I said, well, son, I said, you pray in tongues. He said, yes, I, I do. I said, I want you to start praying in tongues all the way to work in the truck. Just pray in tongues as loud as you can. There's nobody in the, in the, in the truck. Just pray in tongues as loud as you can. He did weeks. It totally changed him. He got a hunger for the Word of God. He dove in. He's never been the same since. That was a pivotal time in his life. And right now, he's discipling other good church she's got a great wife she's gonna have a kid i'm gonna have a grandbaby great stuff (laughs) so young people you need this 